Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio. Let's go around the round table. We got Robin D. Cross in Canada. Boo. We got uh, Grandpa Batman in Dallas, Texas. I'm getting paid to do this because I'm still at work. Nice. <laughs> That's the I'm, way. Uh, <laughs> I'm Bat Force Tom in California. Our guest today is a returning favorite that we know the listeners can never get enough of uh, because honestly, they ask every year. We get DMs, I get DMs. Hey, when are you having Kelly? Um, he is a literal living legend of the comic industry, a massive source of inspiration to current artists today. He just announced a brand new project, Dracula Volume 1, The Impaler, on Kickstarter with project partner Matt Wagner, another legendary name. Back again for the sixth annual Bat Force Radio Kelly Jones Spectacular is the immortal Kelly Jones. Immortal. I like that. Thank you. Man, uh, it is an honor. Thank, Thank you. you so much for making the time for little well, us. Uh, I appreciate. Hey, look, I appreciate you guys still being interested. So it's mutual. Absolutely. Um, what a great time to talk to you about this. I just kind of this was a surprise when we saw it pop up a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had been wanting and planning to talk to you, and then boom, it's yeah. like it's it's Halloween time, but it's like Christmas. It, it because is because we are getting you working on a Dracula book. Yes. And, and, um, it's the first of four. So it's going to be a big, uh, pretty much an epic. And, um, it's, I think, uh, one of those things that you look for as an, as any kind of creator, you, you really hope for that project that one you enjoy doing and one that, you know, you know, in your heart is special. It's going to be special. And I mean that I feel that if anyone else drew it, it would be special. It's that good of a story and that good of a, of a, the idea of an epic. Um, when, when we've got together and we're talking about, and Matt and I had known each other for many, many years, and we just never could find the time schedule wise to get together and work. So a couple of years ago, um, basically it was, uh, we better do this. And um, we made the time. Uh, Matt said, hey, I got something in mind. <clears throat> and uh, he called me up and said, you know, he says, I don't want to send you. I'll just tell it to you. If you're interested, then I'll I'll go forward. But this is what's in my mind. So about a day or two later, he got all his notes together and, and he told me what he wanted to do. Um, he said, I know it's big because each story is 100 pages plus. Mm. Uh, but he says, what I'll do, what I'm, what I'm planning is I'm telling the stories that Stoker hinted at. They're there, but he never delved into it. And he had said, you know, 
we're not starting with the novel and we're not going to do an adaptation of the novel. That's not the goal. Uh, we're going to show how, like the first book, how he became what he became. Because Stoker just mentions it in a sentence. You know, he goes to this thing called the Skolomans, which is hosted by Satan every seven years. And it's high in the mountains of the Carpathians. Now, that's mentioned in Stoker's novel, but it's one sentence. And he never said what that was. It's no. just that's what happened. Uh, so we showed Vlad the Impaler as a person, then how he becomes a vampire. And that that's the story. And it's huge. It's just an epic story. Um, absolutely terrifying person, but not in the snidely whiplash evil guy. And that's just how he is. He's the Lord of his country mm -hmm. and he's got to do what he's got to do to protect himself from the Turkish armies and internal struggles and all these, all of that. Um, so it's, he's a, by any means necessary guy and he thinks he's doing God's will, but he's doing his own. So he becomes very, I mean, everything is a raw material to him. And this is before we see what happens. Um, it's fascinating characterization by Matt. Absolutely riveting. It's the kind that even if there was nothing supernatural, you go, this is deeply interesting. Um, I told him when I, when I first read it, I said, it's, it's uh, masterful. And, uh, and then when he says, look, when I say we're doing four, what I mean is they're all self-contained stories. So if you read number two, you don't need one, three, or four. If you read number four, you don't need one, two, or three. They're all separate. But if you put them together, it's like the Lord of the Rings. It's this enormous story. Um, when he told me how he wanted to do it, uh, you know, he says, well, you, if you remember, he says, in the novel, which I'm very, uh, I love it. He goes, he's only in it about 10% of the time. Right. It's everybody else. And it's told through letters. So you just you hear the effect of something or a story of something. He says, we'll do that. But there's other stuff in there that's briefly mentioned that you go, you know, uh, he's passingly saw in London um, that he has 50 boxes spread around the country. You know, he's right. not just deal. Mina is not a love interest to him. She's a victim. She's it's revenge for him. So that's all the films and, and later as they turn it into romance, there's zero romance. Yeah. He's a monster. Have you seen that uh, recent movie, Last Voyage of the Demeter? Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah, I was, I was well, going to bring that up too. Okay. I think, I think it, there's a lot of terrific stuff in it, but there's a huge missed opportunity and we don't see him as the count. Right. Yeah. Okay, you, you needed to see him as a count, not just this monster, because then it's a monster movie. Um, yeah, we needed that... to see him in his regal, noble thing. I think also um, the gypsies serve him. They're, they are fated to serve him uh, by forces, and that's, I mean, that's their job. That's their will is mm -hmm. So it isn't like they sent a victim and it isn't like he's some mysterious elemental force. He is, and an interesting thing, he's, he's not, um, uh, Dracula 
is needing fresh blood, the fresh experience, fresh, he's 500 years in the same place. And they didn't really touch upon the, that. And, and I think that was a missed opportunity. Um, I think the other side, no one should survive the Demeter. Nobody survived the Demeter. It's a Gothic story. And that, yeah. that was, that's what I was looking for was, um, uh, when I had done, uh, red rank with Doug, uh, that was what Doug's told me. He says, well, in a Gothic story, the right objectives, you, you, you get the correct objectives. You, you succeed in your mission, yet everybody dies. Right. That was his thing before we go in, just that's what happens. And I think with this, what you needed was, um, something, and I think it's tough because you got to say, well, we need a happy ending or we need this something, you know, um, so whereas I give it credit, one, it's beautifully shot, beautifully cast, uh, really, really interesting. It goes, uh, where I give it big credits is, uh, you know, uh, a, a child's a victim, you know? Yeah, that was. And that's an echo to the novel because in the novel, uh, he brings his brides a baby in a bag. And it's one of the most horrific scenes in a book. I've it's 1897 notwithstanding it's horrific and Harker witnesses it yeah okay so I think that was a callback to to that to that sequence um so so at that point I just I think um you just needed to see him in his regal imperial self and then he can become whatever he is. I love the giant boxes of earth, not just little coffins, but big, huge ones, because it isn't just a coffin he's going to be in. He's going to spread this everywhere. Yeah. You know, his, uh, his idea is to be a plague upon England. And, um, and you know, that, that element, uh, I don't, I don't like to, uh, you know, I went there and I, and my first thought, yeah, I was enjoy it. Would I recommend it? Yes, I would recommend it. Um, will I enjoy it again? Yes, I will. But, but it's one of those where you you just, uh, to me, I just saw the missed opportunity of yeah. a really grand story and everybody should have died. You know, it just, that that's just the thing. Yes, they fight. Yes, they sacrifice. Yes, they do all the human things. But if you don't know what you're up against or if you're up against something so tremendously powerful that's been here for five centuries... Uh, and you're just a merchant seaman. Yeah, you're a goner. <laughs> and for snack. anyone who's uh, for anyone who is a fan of Dracula, the the traditional Bram Stoker story, it's a great time to to have this situation where not only yourself and Matt seeing the potential in something that you know was just mentioned that we can expand a whole story out of this. And Last Voyage of the Demeter, you know, they expanded a chapter from the book to become a, an entire movie. Like, if we could just keep getting that for years you know keep giving us these expanded versions of of uh, of this segment of the story i agree and i think that was matt's angle to me was was when he first said dracula he says now before you think we're going to do an adaptation we're not he says there's so much in the novel that can be explored that's uh well before uh what happens in the events where where he deals with harker and goes to england um harker's really not much in the book in, and you know, he's at the beginning, then we don't see him. And then he has a few big moments at the end. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but what uh, Matt's 
Matt's really terrific angle was that um, it's a grander thing. He, he's, he's, uh, what does this do to you? Clearly we know what it does to him, but uh, why is he the king of vamp? Why is he the Lord of all vampires? This is, uh, you see it. Matt does a good thing where he says, I'm not going to check off the boxes of, of, uh, where, you know, all the things we know about vampires, it's just going, you're going to see why it happens. You're going to see how this, this is because prior to Dracula, um, vampires were just like revenant. They were just shambling, blood drinking, horrible things. And it wasn't until you get to, to, uh, you know, um, John Polidori and, uh, you get to Le Fanu where, where they were elevated to, they could associate with you and I, and we wouldn't know they were vampires. Uh, what he did, though, was he made him a force of nature. Um, he's an aristocrat. And and in that, he's used to saying, do a thing and it is done, you know. And coupled with the fact that he is, you know, to his country, a, a terrifying but a great patriot, right? Well, now we'll see that once you become a vampire, you're kind of restricted to where you go. You're kind of held by different forces and, and how that would affect him. And, and all these things uh, were brilliant. I mean, it, it, there's so much to do with him that once, once Matt was finished, I went, I can, yes, it, this really does take four volumes. I mean, it's a big commitment of time, but I, I, you know, I love it. Can you tell us if it's told in like first person it's told from Dracula's point of view. Okay, first person. Wow. Okay, it is. It is going to be because it's never is in the novel. This is Dracula. This is Dracula's it's, story. It's his story and the it's process he, of him becoming. Yes, Ooh, I um, love that. Yeah. So it's his story. It's his. What is fascinating that Matt does, and and probably because with Grendel he makes you know this pretty repellent guy you're fascinated by. Yeah, he makes a bad guy that you can love. You follow, and and he's done this with Dracula, but he does a thing that's even more so. He reminds you that that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll get swept into it, and then he did a couple of scenes in this first one that read everything, and I've seen everything. It was shocked me. I mean, it mm-hmm. really did shock me. And, um, but they were in character, and and I asked him. I said, "How could you do some of this stuff?" <laughs> Because, you know, I really got wrapped into this, what was going on, and then bang. And he goes, well, the character tells the story, you know. He's telling the story. It's not mine, you know. (laughs) That's what I love about it. It's, you know, um, it's an unforgiving story told about a man from the 15th century. None of our modernities in it. None of our however we want the world to be or how we – it's not. It's his world, and it's how it was then. And it's how do you survive, you know, mm. and that that's that's amazing. That's refreshing. A lot of times when you read or when I read like a, a comic, that's kind of a period piece and mm-hmm. you get to disassociate what today's society and you can't do it. Everything. Yeah. And, and yeah. this is a new slate and you have yeah. to remember, OK, these things they say, these things they do. That's how it was. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's refreshing. And you know what, what you have to do is realize, uh, and I'm not saying in ours, but you have to do, when you do that, you realize, well, maybe some stuff was better then. 
Yeah. Some stuff wasn't. I mean, it's different. It's a different culture. What what Matt did was he was scrupulous of language. So there's no modernity in the language. There's no how we would speak or even how our meanings are. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to see. I mean, I was, uh, he was always telling me because uh, there were words and slang, uh, curses, put down, slurs, all these things in there. But I had, there were words I'd never I mean, they're English. He doesn't do that, but they were they were old. And he said it took a long time because he had to do a lot of philology to make sure he got it right because he didn't want to take anyone out of it with the common mm. terms, without with common with common meanings. You know, right? Mm. Yeah. Hearing uh, hearing about his process a little bit, you kind of got the uh, the notes and the story, and you were able to kind of conceptualize where he was coming from. What was the process then for you to kind of put together what this would look like? Well, what, uh, what did you start start to kind of? If you're lucky with? enough to get a fully realized description on the page, they start visualizing in your head. I think Dickens mm. once said, "If you come up with a name, they you can write them." You know, uh, it's easy if a guy's name is Scrooge or if a guy's name is Uriah Heep. They they kind of you can see it. Dracula had been around a long time, so I didn't want to take other people's ground. I wanted to do my own thing. And uh, so I went back to the novel and reread it and, you know, what where he is described. And then realized that's 500 years or so, four or 500 years after the fact of where I am. So I really, at that point, went and did a lot of research on what, as best you can, because there there is very little... But there is a lot on um, uh, the way people lived, and that that does begin to you does affect you. Um, and I read a lot about the actual wars, you know, separate from you know Dracula is in regular history, uh, and those wars were savage and uncompromising and no quarter given. So that you begin to see how that would affect a guy and what he would look like and his demeanor and how he would carry himself. Um, I used to do that with dead man. Uh, I used to do that with Batman. Um, it's, I still do it. And you let how the world has affected them in your head. Then you say, okay, how would I, how, what would the body language be? How would they turn their head? How would they stand? All those things start to happen. And then you put on the, you put on the, the, whatever the costuming is, and man, it just comes alive. And to my to my mind, um, this was a man who you could te- who you can tell if he's not even in his royal garb, he's royal. He's intimidating. He's not a guy that if he looks at you, you back down. Um, he's that kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. And that's separate from the vamp- the vampire stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you were mentioning um, about going back and doing some research, looking at the wars that were fought and the things that were happening around him, and uh, the the word that comes to my mind when I'm looking at some of these pages are just absolute brutality. Yeah, um, just like just you know, lucky enough to see some of these preview pages that uh, were released, and it's like okay, I got a sense of where this is going now. And yeah. you mentioned how you're getting some of those notes and you're reading some of. Uh, Matt's work and you're saying how can like oh my god like how could you go there and you in turn have gone there 
with uh, with the artwork mm -hmm. and the brutality mm -hmm. and the um, you know this feeling like this is definitely uh, this right here. This was the first thing I saw, and I was like, okay, we're in for a treat now. With yeah, this yeah, it's it's it that that pretty much says what it's about. That's brutal. Right we are. If if uh, if a comic page looks like an album cover of the band Cannibal Corpse, yeah, you know, go. That, uh, that's a pretty hard uh, that that comic's going hard. Yeah. There you go. I think I think um, that's part of the joy of of doing a book. Um, when we first uh, like this, I mean, when we first did it, initially he said, "Well, you know, we can." Uh, there's uh, mainstream publishing we can approach on this because we've done these kind of things. But as the process went on, I said, Matt, they're not going to go for this. I mean, there's there's stuff that we're not seeing here. They're just not. I mean, that whoa. And I said, they're just not going to go for this. Yeah, and that, he says, that's yeah. one of the questions I was going to ask is with the the reputation, the the status of both of you in the industry, you definitely could have taken this to someone. So I sure. wanted to ask specifically why crowdfunding? Why because because uh, at that point you look at it and you realize especially with some of the subject matter Matt's handling not just the depictions but how the characters are you just realize it's gonna it, it you know anything authentic is kind of frightening nowadays so it's, he wanted to keep it authentic and he's thinking you know this story of a 15th century guy um part of the part of the thing that's interesting is it's the 15th century and medieval warfare, for example, was unbelievably brutal. All war is, but man, hand to hand, everything was hand to hand. Everything was where you could see a guy in the face. So um, that's that's how they treated everything. You know, those it wasn't just Dracula; it was everybody's kind of like that. Um, especially in Eastern Europe, uh, when they're fighting. Uh, not just dynastic battles, but religious battles as well. Um, they become savage. And and he wanted to not give to, well, maybe you went too far, maybe you can't say it. And that's just, I mean, I, I started bringing it up to him that maybe that would be the way to go. Um, just for the, for the sake of telling the story exactly how Matt wanted to do it. Because I would read it and there was no other way to do it. I mean, to me, it had to be what he was saying. Uh, and I can go off on my tangents and do all, all the things I do. Um, and when you're under that kind of freedom, that's when you're making, you know, something and you know, something special. You want to stay out of the well, out of the way of what will impede it from getting from Matt and I to you clearly, you know, um, Matt was telling an unbiased story. He's, he's not even putting in any Matt Wagner he's saying, Hey man, I'm just telling you what happened. This is how it went down. That's it. Uh, uh, don't don't look to me to give you a moral judgment or a, I'm not going to do that. There is none. It, it's an absolutely, it doesn't judge him. It lets his, uh, the, the actions, you, the reader, that's another thing I loved was when I'm reading it, if I'm reacting to this and Matt's not telling me what to think, you know, in the story, he's not saying think this or adding anything to it. It's just, this is what happened. Yeah. And you go, Jesus, you know, um, unbelievable. And I think, you know, the nice thing was Leslie Klinger is, is a tremendous scholar and annotates great 
works. Uh, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Lovecraft. He's done Neil's Sandman. He, he's done Dracula. And he got a hold of us and he said, I'd like to see this before it got going. He did, he had heard and man, he came back and he said, this is dead on. This is totally, <laughs> this is perfect. I know uh, for me, um, Matt had to have been worried because it's like, here's the professor is going to grade your paper. <laughs> you know? But Matt, and in all honesty, and I'm not, no hyperbole, Matt is a scholar to me. I mean, he's extremely well-read. He has a scholar's mind. Nothing escapes him. And he has a shrewd sense of asking the right questions. You know, um, there were quite like, like he just throws out to me, he says, you know, the term of, of like a count doesn't exist in Eastern Europe. So how did he become a count? Why is he calling himself that? Yeah. And I never thought of that. Now I know Dracula. And I go, that's it. I mean, th those are one of uh, dozens of things he would throw out to me. You know, um, uh, there's a lot. And it's not like he says, it's not a mistake. There's a reason. He says, but we're going to find out what all these things are, where they all come from. Um, he says, Dracula can't just simply be bitten. And that's how he becomes a vampire. No. He says, that's for others. He says, and so Matt had a story. I mean, right there, it starts his wheels turning, right. you know? Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't know if this is part of the book or not, but I mean, when you think about it, he had a family before him. Yeah. And surely they must have seen what he became or at some point. Well, you got to wonder how much it took to stand out as, as someone... It, and we know he stood out, but when you look to the times, it was a pretty brutal time, you know, uh, before and after there were pretty brutal people and he stood out. That would and, be part of the horror to me is, you know, and I, I, I know nothing about the story. I hope I get to see some of this. I mean, from what you're telling me right now, I can't wait to get this in my hands, but imagine a mother watching her son become this monster and still being alive while that, I mean, or that would be horror to me. Why would you be loyal to this man? Right. Okay. If, 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 if you're serving this guy and you're utterly loyal, what has he done to make you uh, loyal? Is it out of fear? Is it a success? Is right. it out of who knows, you know, uh, because you're seeing all these things happen too. And mm. this is not a guy who cares what you think. It never enters his mind. He's been right. given by God the charge of running his country. That's right. how he sees it. Yeah. Mm. There, um, there are little areas that, that Matt was thinking of, questions that he was asking, and places to go with the character that are either implied or just kind of there but never really explored that he had some fun exploring. As far as drawing some of things, some of these things, what are some things, without giving too many spoilers away, where did you find yourself just gleeful that you were able to kind of explore this character and draw things that maybe haven't well, been seen yet? First, yeah, first Matt is a great artist in his own right, and he has a great way to be visual without imprinting what he would do, right? So that leaves a wide open field to run in. Um, when he would describe a scene or a situation, 
Uh, he had the good sense to tell me everything I needed, but left everything to my own devices. So um, I enjoyed surprising him. You know, I enjoyed breaking uh, breaking certain tropes or stereotypes that come with what people would expect to see themselves. And um, it was refreshing to be able to do that and have his reaction be, I didn't even, I didn't even see it this way. This is perfect. You know, um, it wasn't like, Oh, you didn't do it. This, it, it was, it, he, he was, um, as I was enamored of him, he became enamored of working with me. We'd always, like I said, we'd always wanted to work together. And then you always worry, well, boy, you know, he's a really good friend. What if it's not, you know, it, it, it's what if this isn't going to work out? Maybe we're, we're oil and vinegar or oil and water. And, um, but it, it, I, the first page, it was natural. After 10 pages, I told him, this is like, we've always been working together. You know, I, it's just this effortlessness. Um, it was, it was, he and I, uh, you know, for the time of us doing it, we were the only audience because we didn't really want to, you know, at that point, you don't, you don't say anything. When it started taking an inertia and uh, we would really didn't show too many people, but the few we did, the reaction was very heartening because uh, I had a very good, we had a mutual friend and a peer. I won't out him because he'll be embarrassed. But he just rolled his eyes. Says Dracula, why are you guys doing Dracula? You can do anything you want. And then Matt says, "Well, look, let me show you the book. Let me just sit down and read it." You know, he had he had the files, and he's become our big. This fellow's become our biggest supporter. It knocked <laughs> him out. He could not, but he had, he got he. I, I I was not. I didn't know this. I get this thing out of the blue, saying, "Look, I'm not going to tell anyone." Matt showed it to me. Oh my god. And he kind of said, I rolled my eyes and now I'm thinking there's, this is absolutely going to enter part of my love for Dracula, like the novel, like a hammer film, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and that was very heartening because he's a pretty impressive creator. Um, and, uh, and, and the same thing happened to this fella that happened to me. He was like going, I never thought of this. This is just, you know, there's so much you could do. This is the way to do it. And um, so that was that was one of those things where, uh, you know, we, we've I've been personally happy, but kind of surprised at the reaction to the art because I didn't, you know, so much Dracula stuff. Done, but I have not gotten a reaction like this for a long time. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. It has been very impressive. We're um, in order to, I guess, envision the story and all that. I mean, were Matt's scripts pretty in depth, or how would you describe the script? I think that I think what Matt does is he so stresses characterization that the dialogue is perfect. When you read it, it it helps you put a page together, you know, or the panel together. He will describe where they're at, what's going on, and that kind of stuff. But he doesn't go too much further than that because everything is there. You know, they're they're in the place, the setting, the time. He'll he'll let me know all that stuff. He'll let, but but you can tell uh, where he, he. I could tell he trusted me. Is you know a lot of dialogue. It's what's between the lines. It's what's going on between the lines of what they're saying. 
And that's skillful writing because you, if you can read that and understand it, you know, fine. Matt also does a thing where he doesn't take the same, you know, I can draw something contrary to what they're saying and it all goes together because you need those two things. You know, it doesn't have to be write a thing, show the same thing. It's they're saying whatever I'm drawing, what the scene is. And since we understand what the goal of that, of the storytelling is, you can get some pretty compelling, uh, frightening shot superheroes basically say a thing show the same thing react to the thing you show it and that's fine horror has very different tropes to it it's all tension it's all building up to it to uh uh through that tension through atmosphere you build up to to the release um to the and it's all beats it's all real beats it's not a false drama it's not a guy you know all mine really dour about it's not um you can have those beats uh with people saying something or you can have them be quiet but horror that's where it works and matt matt got that do you think that his experience as a comic artist played into that because he knows man i hate this goddamn writer telling me what to draw i'm just <laughs> uh, gonna have you know where any, i was grateful. where that trust is you know yeah given this, well, I'm, think- I'm dealing with kelly F and Jones. I'm glad. Well, well that's but, in the, and I'm, I grateful. That's pretty much what he said. I don't yeah. have to tell, you know, he, he typically writes his own material, writes and draws his own material. Right. Um, I, I, uh, so when he came to it, he says, well, I don't want to do, I mean, I don't want to draw it. I, if that was the case, I would do it. He says, right. I don't want, I, I just want to write this story, but I want what, what it is I do. And great comics are great collaboration. Mm. Uh, he had a great suggestion of getting Jose Villarubia to color it. Yeah. And uh, if you see these things, they're absolutely neon colored. And it was his, it's how he sees me. And he had said that um, I was a big fan. I am a big fan of Mario Bava's uh, Black Sunday and Suspiria. So is he. So he says, that's how I want it lit. Because you've already done all the darks. You've already got all this beautiful rendering. I want none of it hidden. I want none of it. And and he says, and he's right, because he's a great designer and artist himself. He says it becomes more graphic. Uh, and not so much even in the depiction, but, but the images, the graphic nature of comics you really see. And um, he was mm-hmm. right. I mean, the first times I saw what was coming in, I didn't really have notes for Jose. Uh, Jose understood it when we spoke to him and damn, if he didn't just nail it. Um, but Jose is a great artist in, in his own right. I mean, he's just been finishing, he just finished, um, uh, restoring the colors to rights and swamp thing and restoring the colors to Corbin's work, uh, for eerie and creepy. And they're brilliant. I mean, they're painstaking, but they're gorgeous. And in both those cases, that was kind of the philosophy there, too. They're very bright colors. Um, but but what I like about it, you guys, is um, it's classic comics. It's not airbrush effects. It's not overly done. It's, it's almost like four color, uh, primary four color on heavy blacks, like if it were the, old, the way they used to print them. Um, since it's been so many years, decades since people have seen it, it looks brand new. Hmm. And that's why I think it's striking. 
and and it really uh the two of you work together perfectly i want to go back to the one page here this one in particular that face behind the hood yeah everything the the darks and the brights the way the the colors are working with it that particular panel looks three-dimensional yeah it does and and that's um that's to the credit clearly of jose but matt's designer eye um Matt had said these things. He would see these things while I was inking them. And he goes, I don't want these things harmed. He says, I want this all brought out. Uh, And I agree. He says that it's, you know, sometimes, and I I can liken it to film this way, a great color job, a great colorist is like when John Williams scores Jaws or Star Wars or something. Mm -hmm. You watch it without the score and it's, you know, Okay, it's fine. Yeah, the score, and all of a sudden, it all comes to life. Builds that tension. Yes, and that's a necessary element to it. Um, uh, Stanley Kubrick, who I love, would do this thing where he would marry sound and music to an image, and it's very discordant, but it works, you know? Um, And so what Matt's idea was, this is so contrary to the way it's done now, but it's how it always was done, and I wanted how it always was done. Um, it, it very brave decisions and, um, he was right. And that uncompromising way that the two of you have been able to do this is all the reason you needed, uh, to, to go the, the crowdfunding and self-publishing, uh, well, Matt's always been, Matt's always been a real indie guy and I've always Mm -hmm. been very indie within the mainstream. So we were always being ourselves, you know, uh, he made his name on the forefront of indie, indie comics and doing Grendel and mage. Um, he's always, he's always been that almost underground, but mainstream kind of guy. I mean, it's, it's why his stuff is so powerful because he didn't have to answer. And for me, I've kind of done that within the mainstream by what I do with Batman or Sandman and such. Um, and it's, it's, uh, frankly the only way we both know how to do it um but it works you know and it does give it does give that kind of uh power that you need for something that you will not see the same things because we don't know how to do them there's not a uh um a standard comic book look to it um so it will feel like what we want and it it will it will be uh, that kind of anachronistic, eccentric, cool thing that you want. Um, the bottom line is Matt writes in a very literary style with a lot of pulp sensibility. You know, um, I I was telling him I said you know I I uh, I, I liken him to like the old Roger Corman films or people who work for Roger Corman. Uh, you know, Scorsese and Brian De Palma and all these guys. And he says, hey, you can write and direct and produce any kind of movie you want. The only direction I'm going to give is every 10, 12 minutes, I want someone naked, someone dead, uh, violence. I want something that the audience goes, ooh, right? But anything you want to do, do it, right? And because he was, he was knowing he had to keep people interested. And I always tell Matt that, and Matt says, "Well, yeah, that's the good stuff, right? Yeah. That's why we all come here." 
Um, <laughs> if you add if you add that great subtext to it, if you add this grandeur to it, then it becomes you know Shakespeare was famous for doing that. Here's these great Shakespearean plays, and they're stabbing and killing and raping and adultery and murder and you know all the human failings uh and people are glued to to watching the the stage that was you know what 1580 1590 whenever you did those things so nothing's ever changed you go back to the iliad that's what they were doing you know uh this high-minded stuff and a spear through the eye i i mean that's ooh people love that i love that so um so you want that in in your book but you want it to be uh have some meaning have some when you're done uh what you know you what was the meditation upon and and that's what you know that's why i'm not going to ruin that for anyone what what we were trying to say i'll let people come to their own conclusion on that excellent i was uh i was just in the process of looking up um you mentioned something that got me excited when this was announced is when you posted it on social media almost immediately not only were fans responding to the idea, um, you had collab, you know, co-collaborators and fellow artists who were also kind of mentioning. One of them, um, one of one of mine, and I know some of some of uh, the Bad Force favorites is mm-hmm. Kyle Hotz. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he, um, I saw underneath one of the posts, he says, and it was almost like he he was so excited you could tell. He mm-hmm. said, "I've seen like a preview of this book. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. have to tell you." It looks amazing. Yeah, he and, he 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 had asked me, "What are you up to? I haven't heard from you for a while." Cause, well, t- or you haven't told me anything. And I, and I had said, "Well, I'm working on." You know, I kind of gave him a bare bones of it. He says, "Well, can is it all right if I take a look?" I said, "Absolutely." And so I sent him some stuff to look at, and I was worried because I didn't hear back for him from him. <laughs> and then he gets back to me. He says, "I can't stop looking at this. This is, uh, I think, this is your best work." He says, I, I am so impressed with this. Wow. And he says, and that you kept your mouth shut. And I go, well, we didn't <laughs> know where we were going. You know, you don't know. Um, and until you make all the decisions, I mean, you don't want to work in secret, but that's the way of the world now. So um, uh, it was it was very kind of him to say that. The, the few people I've showed it to before this, I would get this response. And so... Uh, and same with Matt. And, and that is very gratifying because you're, you're just, you're working in a, in a void, you know, it's like you have no idea. And, and yes, he's been doing it, you know, 40 years, I've been doing it 40 years and it's, it's diff. It, you, you don't just go in there competently. You're, you're like going, well, God, I hope this is, you know, we're pretty close to it and I'm digging it, but I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you, you don't know. How long have you been working on this book? Uh, started about a year and a half ago. I got it done okay. pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, okay. I was really into it. I am halfway through the second one. Okay. Wow. That's what I was, my next question. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When <laughs> you, you, you had announced it, you had mentioned that book one is done. Yeah. It is finished, amazing. done in the can. It is the only time it takes nowadays is, you know, in printing it. Now you're at the mercy of the printers and, you know, all the things they got to print before they get to you. And then shipping, uh, getting it to wherever, and and then you're at the mercy. But then so is everybody else. But at least we cut off a significant amount of time by having it a finished book. Right. And I told Matt before we ever do, when we started this, I said, I don't want to announce until I know we're done on our end. And mm-hmm. then you can announce it. 
And then that way no one has to wait any longer than it takes for the physical printing to happen. And on the physical format, what what is the format you have published right now or will be sold? Uh, we're going to, you know, um, there'll be, it's hardcover. Nice. Uh, it will be one with my cover, one with his cover. Uh, there'll be a portfolio of art. Um, if I can remember, um, so you can buy one, you can buy the other, you can buy them both. You can buy them both with the portfolio. You can just buy one with a portfolio. It, it's, it's, yeah. that's kind of how we're doing it. And certainly as we go, we have other things in mind that, that mm-hmm. would be, um, standard good. size or, uh, it's going to be a kind of like European size. It's a little, okay. it, it's a little wider. Right. Yeah. Um, so you, so we could get more stuff in. And, uh, and Matt, you know, being a designer himself, he says, I want it to look great on a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you, are you, uh, drawing on the 11 by 17 pages right now? Uh, yeah, but at a different size. So they're, they're, um, they're a little, a little, uh, like more square, but they're, okay. they're big. I mean, they're, it's big art. Um, and so it will fit the, the book. Uh, mm-hmm. it's made for some really, really good ability to to design excellent um so it's like a european album like a mobius thing or something like that yeah um the uh the print portfolios that you have include some black and whites i mean we love the colors obviously we're talking about colors and how i believe it's uh you know it creates kind of like a symphony for the work but um we also love as i like to say the nudes and uh and i mean this this is something that you tweeted and uh just looking at how gorgeous that looks that's all you right there, and it looks absolutely phenomenal. Well, thank you. Thank, it, look, I uh, even if you work with someone like Jose or whatever, um, I always want it to feel finished, whether whether it's colored or not. Mm-hmm. So, so I I loathe empty spaces, or I loathe unused negative space. You know, mm-hmm. um, it has to all be first and foremost composition, and then secondly, uh, comics are the ink. Uh, what is the Dracula's life? Blood is the life. Comics, inks, uh, ink is the life. Mm-hmm. And um, ink is the life. Yeah. I, I just love textures. Um, uh, on that piece, there's like several different things going on. It all, it, it, to me, it all comes together. And it looks, it looks monstrous. It looks massive. And uh, the, the, the scale and scope of everything, you know, and um, it makes it, it really does give it the sense of, an ominous kind of uh, feeling as well as building tension from this kind of um, this, this perspective and then, you know, just to color it. There you go. Just to have yeah. some fun with throwing the colors on it. That's what it looks like. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, it's great that you mentioned that you say, you said, I don't like, I like, I like to fill the page. I don't like negative space. I'm realizing now that's probably why so many people love what you do is because you can spend hours on one of your pages and just look and see at all the details and well, everything. First of all, let me thank you. I appreciate that. I am big on composition and not just for the whole totality of a page, but each individual panel I think has to work. And um, and I'm an intuitive artist. I'm not someone who says I'm going to, you know, spent years in the Sorbonne learning this stuff. It's intuitive. It, just where my eye goes is what I and what the story asks for. That's how that's how I, I let it work. Um mm-hmm tell me what to do. And so when Matt says, you know, we see a castle uh, rising from the mist, 
and he's you know beginning to tell his story uh, it you know bang that that will happen that's like I'll, page one yeah hmm. okay. <laughs> it hits yeah. you with that it's like you open it up <laughs> splat out yeah okay. this is gonna sound crazy and i don't know if this has ever been done and maybe it hasn't done been done but I kind of wish that that page right there had like glow in the dark ink. <laughs> yeah. And when you open it up, it's like, Ooh, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I don't know. Uh, those kind of things. Can are, that are, even be done? I don't know. You know, I don't know that, that I, in the old days it was phosphorescence. They would use phosphorus. Um, and that's, how I remember how they did a glow in the dark. Uh, Batman Deadman cover I'd done. So I don't oh, know. Yeah, that was awesome. I have that. Yeah, I, so I don't know how they would do that. I mean, that was for covers, and covers are differently printed than interiors. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't know, maybe that would drive the printers nuts because, <laughs> you know, the first the first few thousand would print right, and towards the end, it would start running out of the, the glow in the dark. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how the, the technical on that works. Mm-hmm. But it is a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, just going back real quick to Kyle Hotz. Here is his take yeah. on a absolute classic and uh, paradigm shifting cover of yours that that is uh, legendary. And you know, just um, I, another example of uh, another gentleman that loves to kind of look, you know, composition, right? Looking at everything, yeah. you could spend uh, you could spend hours on his stuff. Well, and he was... and I come from probably the same kind of school of art. You know, there's Wrightson, yeah. Wallywood. Uh, Graham Angles, those guys, and they're all heavily compositional, um, and and everything is based on the textures they would do. So uh, when you when you um, put those th- two things together, and sp- and certainly uh, you know Frazetta uh, was master of composition. Uh, Frazetta, you can look at it upside down, sideways from behind where, and it always works. Um, I think that, um, half of a picture's appeal and success is it's composed. Well, then you draw it, you know, uh, the angles, the lighting, everything, uh, has to serve the composition. And, and that's, that's the pleasure of it, you know, because simply a castle rising out of the, out of the mist, on a dark night, you know, there's a million ways to do that. But the first thing you have to do is compose it. So everyone gets it before they really investigate it, you know, and then you have to think how much atmosphere and how much atmosphere pertaining to the story you're going to tell. So, you know, in that regard, um, that's the fun of doing comics is solving those little equations, you know, Mm -hmm. And not being too precious, not being too, you know, I think if you give yourself a certain amount of time to do it, uh, it forces you to uh, come up with your best ideas rather than the insecure ideas of like, I have to do everything and show, you know, no, you get right to it and you, 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 uh, it's like a good power cord. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. My, um. I mean, I prefer power chords to long solos if if I had to pick, you know? Mm. I agree. I agree. You want the big crunch? Yeah. Um, now, with everything that you work on, I mean, you just mentioned music right there. Yeah. You know, every artist that works on, you know, a song and then the next song, 
you know, they, they find some little nuance or learn a new little trick or chord or something like that. Did this story, were you able to find any little nuances or new techniques or something that you'd never done before to make this story? Um, there are things that I got to do that, that I is some of it I wanted to try other stuff, uh, which I would want to do more of, but there's just not that opportunity. You know, there's, well, you got three more books to do. So, yeah. So, so I, uh, yeah, I have a few tricks up my sleeve and some of it going back to some things that, that really no one does anymore because, uh, they're, they're difficult and, or because, um, uh, I still work paper to pen. Right. And, um, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you, it isn't because I don't want to work digitally or anything like that. There's a lot of reasons I don't. One, I don't think digital has come up with, it, it, there's not, I, I don't get to do as much as I would want to do, you know? Um, and I think it still hasn't, it still can't do what I would need it to do. I need to physically touch, like on that first page, my thumb was part of my, you know, that, that was one of my tools. Right. Um, there, there's certain things that a brush or a pen will do that you have to get it to that point where it's running out of ink or where it's, it's, uh, almost sometimes too much ink, but you need it to do certain things. Um, I don't need to control it that much. I want some rough mistakes to happen while I'm doing it. Right. Um, I think uh, using music again, it's John Lennon's distortion. You know, he invented it to get something he couldn't get. And then everyone loved it because, okay. But now it's hard to get distortion because everything's controlled in a computer grid, computer board. And so you have to physically still go do that. And and it's that kind of eccentricity or that uh, uh, that that unique little thing that, I don't know, makes makes you react as as emotionally that you can't get i mean it's just that that human thing and yeah there's I, uh there's a charm in the uh possibility the potential of well, mistakes and imperfections yes atonal is the word i guess you know when yeah. when something should go be a go up but it goes down um and it and it works something that should be uh a clear note is kind of an off note um my favorite singers aren't great singers in in that technical sense um because they bring personality to it so i i want that kind of personality yeah true yeah, perfection and, and that, has and to be imperfect yeah and and everyone expects a certain look from you and if this is the way that you get it we no one would want you to be missing that you know by, no. by doing something like no the, and, um, and i tell i mean i'll have other artists get a hold of me and say how are you doing this because they just want to know the effect and and i tell them well, are you working digitally or old school? Well, m most of them are digital. And I said, well, if you're doing old school, this is how I did that. I don't, I can't do it the other way. I mean, this is how I like to do it. I don't want, um, you know, when I'm drawing, most of the drawings in my head anyway, right? It's 99% it, of it's there already. It's just putting it to paper. And the hard part of drawing is the idea. It's not the technical execution. It's the idea. And that I learned to, to master 
working for Danny O'Neill on Batman, because when you're doing a monthly book, you do not have time to be choosy. You got to hit the ground running and you got to make that deadline that month. Can't take time away from your other guys. You got to make your editor see it. You got to, so that means you, whatever you get done that day, that's what you get done. There's no do overs. Mm-hmm. And that forces right. you to read the script very thoroughly, understand it, and then have it start drawing in your head before you ever sit down. Um, that said, you still want when you're when you're putting the lines down and stuff to see maybe something will happen, a little mistake or something that you didn't, you know, something that you didn't, um, that you thought would work doesn't work. Uh, so you got to on the fly, figure it out. Well, a nice loose pencil will do that, you know, and then it's like carving. It's like sculpting. You kind of chisel and work with it and move it until, until you get a pleasing, a pleasing, uh, image. Yeah. And, and if in your particular style of chiseling, you know, you just by nature of your method, you happen to take away too much. On, right. on areas but that's what people tend to know you're like neil gaiman says that style is the stuff you get wrong yeah and you, you it, said uh, like it, if, it, if someone mistakes i would i would say style is you solving your own equations yeah not looking at uh, at i mean you can be influenced by people you can admire other people but what i'm saying is is it's got to be something where you aren't trained mm-hmm and so you got to figure it out. I began to realize, uh, and I'm these are just things that work for me. But there was nothing in an art class that was going to teach me how to be authentic and sincere. They would teach me technical things, but I can do that on my own. And in doing so, things start to happen within myself. Um, I don't feel. Uh, that I can, t- you know, I'm not someone who's going to tell people this is how you do it. I'm not going to say how to do it. I, I just say, hey, this is what works for me. And the one thing that's universal is anyone can do it. You don't need a tool. A defi- I use a number two kid, uh, number two pencil from my kid's school, right? <laughs> that, what you buy for school. I use simple erasers. Um, like I said, my thumb, a number two brush some pens, um, nothing fancy, uh, because it's up here that anything good's going to happen, you know? So if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be, um, making good comics, first, you got to have it be up here. And that's an emotion, you know? Yeah, uh, uh, Ray Bradbury once was asked, "How do you learn to write? How do you what? what how is it that you learn to write? What what colleges you go to?" He says, "Well, number one, you don't go. You t- you don't go to a college. You read, you read, and you read, and you read, and you read the things you love, and then you examine why are you loving it, mm-hmm. and that's because you're getting emotional. You're wow, this is getting you." He says, "I can guarantee you, the guy writing it was writing with emotion." And he was right. And then, and, and emotions it. That's, that's the real key. Where do you get style emotion? Where do you get, where, where do you learn that though? Where, how do you hone that through production? 
don't have to doesn't have to be perfect everything you do just comes out and um goes to paper but you have to do it a lot and then all of a sudden you begin to get rid of the things that don't matter and you learn to quit being insecure you don't you don't say i hope someone likes this drawing you say they will like this drawing that's not an arrogant thing that's like that's how you get it on paper and that's how you're strong in your style then if someone says, Ooh, I don't like it, you go, that's okay. Because I believe in what I'm doing now. I've, I've now, I'm inventing my own language as it were. So, um, that's, that's the compelling nature of art, uh, is that person figuring it out and me responding to it. Uh, it's comics are personal. I mean, they're very personal and I don't mean just creating them. I mean, reading them. You're by yourself when you do it. Right. Your head, you're hearing it all. It's a silent medium. Uh, so you want to keep it that way. It kind of reminds me like what you were talking about there. And I don't know the name of this experiment. I I had to read about this at one of my, uh, training meetings for work, but the experiment took two sets of students <clears throat> and I don't know how many students, maybe like 10 in each set. And one set of students were given the, the task of make this, you know, let's say they were whittling, you know, whatever, make it as perfect as possible. And this other s- set of students was make as many as possible quickly in a set amount of time. Yeah. And what they found out was that group B that had to make the most, they actually started making the best because it was more repetition yeah. versus this group that was taking their time slowly trying to be. Well, perfect. you remove, you remove intuition by trying to be perfect. Right. And this group over here no. was, you know, they were doing it so quickly that it, then it became natural and they yeah. became better yeah well production is production is exercise right that's all it is it's it's like if you work out you get muscles if you produce art you begin to be an artist um you just don't think thoughts and want to live an art life you actually get something done right uh all the great people that do art whether it's film music whatever they're always described as they're always working i have to do it in a way for me where I only do it in my studio. I don't do it outside my studio. I don't draw anything really outside my studio. I don't carry pens and pencils and I don't even talk artistically and I don't care to, but in my studio, that's where I do it. That's where I, it, it recharges a battery on the one sand. And I've always felt as odd as it is, I'm two different people. There's regular Kelly who you're talking to. And then the guy who's drawing, who's like a psycho. Regular um, Kelly with a horror museum in the background. Yeah. I mean, I, my, I build my studio to be <laughs> that place, which is a comfortable atmosphere. Yeah. And it's not intentional. Like I'm uh, designing it. It's just the flotsam and jetsam of the shit you collect your whole life. <laughs> yeah. Right. And what rises to the top that you want to see all the time. Yeah. Um, mm. That's why I would never get a tattoo. I get bored of it. I go, Oh my God, now I'm sick of this. And what do <laughs> I do? You know, uh, I hear people doing, I go, man, you're so 
I would love to be that convinced that that's what I want to look at the rest of my life. But what you know? do you think about people that show you their tattoos of your art? Well, then that's cool because it ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, no, I mean, if I had to pick an image, it would probably be uh, Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. That's that face, yeah. you know, uh, because I can say I can watch and look at that all the time. Um, mm. uh, so, but I, then, you know, um, do I want to go through that? Not really. So, um, it, it, but that's because I'm in, I'm enchanted by just a blank piece of paper. Um, it possibilities start rattling around. Look, when I first started, it took me 16 hours to get a page done. Maybe that should be your tattoo is just a blank piece of paper. Well, yeah. Just a page like... of nothing. Um, but as I began to do this, I began to realize this isn't, because I don't know what I'm doing. It's because I don't know how to think. And um, probably it's why Matt and I work so well together because Matt's this, he's been doing it this way. He knows how he does it. I do it my way. It goes together. Um, he's very different in how he creates than I do, but it works. You know, it is uh, chocolate and peanut butter. Is that what it is? I mean, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it just, it works. But we have a lot of the same interests. We love the same horror. We love horror films. We love novel, scary stuff. Uh, we read everything, even outside of the genres. Um, so we have a lot of, uh, we both love to cook. Um, we both have cats. We, yeah, I mean, it's just this huge amount. It's just that he has this steel trap of a mind that that is formidable. Um, but I love it because I can trust it. Mm -hmm. And I'm the, the emotional one. He's more of the practical <laughs> one, you know? Mm -hmm. That translates so beautifully to paper. I that. think it does. I, yeah. I truly think it does. And I think you want your writer to be practical. You yeah. know, he's thinking about how everything should work, what, what rings true, what doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, not just what feels good, but what's correct. I, I, yeah, I get that. It's the way yeah. it should be. And and you want your uh, your artist to be a little unhinged. bonkers, yeah. yeah that's bonkers. the best, right? Yeah, yeah because so there's stuff. There was a thing he's going to put in the book, and I was very first. Uh, I was very flattered by it, but it was it's like, wow, you want to do that? And it was. He says, you know, I there was a few pages you did that were perfect in what I wanted, but it is not what I described. And I want to show my script with your pencils and just why this, the, how your brain works. Oh, nice. And I went, and he really only another guy like him would, would see that, mm. uh, would be able to explain it. Because when I read it, I went, because I said, well, what extras? Well, we'll have some stuff in there that's typical. He says, then there's a few things he says, I'd want to see. He says, and I want people to know what, how our collaboration works. And I think it's really cool. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really terrific process thing. And it's, it's very brief, but man, what he showed is okay. I mean, I, at the time it seems natural to me, but I'm so close to it when he was saying, you know, what he wrote, what he was thinking for all those months. And then it comes back to him and it was like, holy crap. And, you know, and I went, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good. You know? Yeah. Way better than maybe what I, well, had. I wanted it not so much, you know, he and I are the only ones I want you guys when you look at it, go, Oh my goodness, that's okay. Or just say, wow, that's different. 
Mm-hmm. Not does for the, the sake of different, it's just natural. Does yeah, the book just, have like a foreword written by anybody? Or um no, I think what it will have is kind of a classical feel. It will have end papers. Um, it will have uh you know, certainly it will have our um uh our stamp from the beginning. But I think I think what Matt wanted to do was just make it like if you picked up a Stoker's book or something. It's just, here it is, you know, um, that, that part of it, I, I, I like, I, you know, who knows down the road, maybe they'll want to put them all four in one book and do something like that then, or I don't know, that's way, way down the road. Right. Um, but at that, for right now, it's just like, he wants people to come to it without any preconceived notions, you know, mm-hmm. just what you're seeing here. And, and I can guarantee you as much as we've talked about it, you have no idea what's coming. And that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the trailer they did was a really good trailer. And the idea they had said was, you know, to, to make it be in interesting, but not give some weight, not for the simple reason of spoilers, but because it is an experience and I, the best trailers to me God, I always remember seeing the, the you know before it came out, uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back, mm. and you they give no explanation to an Imperial Walker. It's the first, when you first time you see something like that, it's just what the hell is this? This isn't what I was expecting, you know. <laughs> um, just some of the odd things they show in that uh, trailer, and and that because that's a exactly how you do one. You show the cool stuff, but it has no context yet. Right. Yeah. Man, that's such a good tease. Mm. Yeah. What are uh, some of your Halloween movie recommendations? Curse of the Demon. Curse of the Demon. There we go. Curse of the Demon. Uh, 1956-57, Dana Andrews, based on an M.R. James story. My favorite horror film, probably. Um, absolutely wonderful. I walked with a zombie, another absolute favorite horror film, uh, Dracula, the Prince of Darkness. Uh, if they have something in common, they have long stretches of what I call cinema, where it's all just visual storytelling leading to stuff, um, have really good endings, really powerful endings, stay with you kind of stuff. I think, um, Mario Bava's Black Sunday, which has some of the most terrible and black sunday too both of his films are are stunning um if i was to be into the more modern era i love um fright night yeah um, i just watched that the other night yeah i love fright night uh i love um the long tv uncut version of salem's lot uh from 1979 uh i think that's probably still one of the most terrifying films ever made and it's on tv yeah um i absolutely love the remake of the blob um really? oh. uh i uh, clearly carpenter's thing um the fog i think those are wonder they're all perfect halloween films um any any of karloff's frankensteins you know i can probably have bright a frankenstein on a loop mm-hmm. um they're it's brilliant i think uh horror of dracula first time you see christopher lee as dracula it's a great 
great adaptation in its own way because they only had you know hour and 15 minutes 20 minutes or something yeah right uh i would i would say uh other things that are great is um certain things that are are tv series uh any uh, any Thing. Some there's some classic episodes of Rod Serling's Night Gallery, uh, classic episodes of Boris Karloff's Thriller, which was still I think two or three of the greatest horror ever on television anywhere were on Thriller, um, which is 1960, 61, 62. One's called Doctor Markison. Um, uh, the the incredible Doctor Markison. Uh, oh man, the Hungry Glass with William Shatner is incredible story, uh, terrifying. Um, th- there's uh, a great adaptation of Robert E. Howard's The Pigeons from Hell, which I think might qualify as the most frightening thing. Um, so I can I can honestly say that those are uh, right off the top of my head. You're asking. Uh, um, Kubrick's The Shining. I every oh, yeah. time I watch it, it works. Every time I watch it, I realize how much he got it right. You know, uh, he got it right, and even though Stephen King hates it, well, I think I think for good reason. I think yeah. it was. I mean, I love King's Salem's Lot, the novel, and I love the Stand the novel. But The Shining, what made The Shining work is Kubrick simply said. You have a strong woman. Why would she tip, put up with the beatings? Why would she put up with someone who harms their child? Why, if she's strong, she'd be gone, right? Wendy, as he does her in the film, is yeah. weak, right? And she's she's abused, and you can clearly tell he does not love her. He's trapped by her. He knocked her up, and now he's stuck with her. There's never a moment where he's kind to her. He's abrupt. He's exasperated. He's slightly embarrassed by her. Yet, her arc, it's not Jack's arc, her arc is the one that's fascinating. She has the strength. She has the the fortitude. She becomes a full woman through this, a strong character. And not just outwits her husband, but defeats the house, not even knowing she's playing the game. That's brilliant. And that's not in the novel. And, I, and I'm sorry, but that's better. Um, the Shining isn't about Danny, as Kubrick sees. It's about Jack, who has it too. He just doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. it the house wants Jack. It doesn't want Danny. Because Danny, it can't manipulate. Jack, it can. Jack's Shining is what leads him in Kubrick's eye to want to be a writer, but he's terrible at it. He has these things, but he can't put it to paper. Uh, he can see and interact with this, not, you know, with with Lloyd the ghost and all the Grady. He can interact with them. That's The Shining. Mm-hmm. And that's where he got it. So when you see it from that standpoint, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it becomes believable. Even if you didn't have the ghosts and the mayhem, uh, Wendy's a much more believable contextual character. Now, she, Kubrick loved The Shining as a novel. He just called it pulp. He said it's a page turner. He wouldn't have uh, asked to do it. He wouldn't have bought for the rights if he didn't love it. 
I did too until it, it, and then when I saw the film, I go, why am I liking the film? I was a kid. And then it makes sense. A weak person to a strong person. I think the doctor's reaction when Wendy says, you know, it's a thing you do a million times, yank a child. No, it isn't. You don't break their shoulder. You know, that's, that's not what you do. Um, so, you know, then it, it's, it becomes less about Jack doing that and more about Wendy tolerating that. Mm-hmm. And that makes a perfect premise for the film. You know, uh, the house in and of itself never explains itself. He doesn't blow up the house at the end. The house goes on because evil always goes on. Mm-hmm. It's an elemental evil. It's not, ooh, it's, it's, a, it's a living thing that is elemental. It's not based on somebody died there and they're coming back to haunt you. Um, it, it, it's almost like Shirley Jackson's Hill House. It was born bad, you know? And so it's just evil. And it eats people. But it wants the people who it can control, who will add to its essence. And and clearly it was, it was in Jack's case, um, you know that the house influenced them to hire him. It, it influenced the people who made that decision because he's kind of a, not the kind of guy you'd want. Um, right. And it's not the type of person you want. You don't send a family into a place that's six months out of the year, not going to, you can't get to it. So there's a lot of the influence of the house all through it. That's all Kubrick. And that's a lot more interesting. Um, Did you and, enjoy Dr. Sleep, the sequel with you and Yeah, McGregor? I thought it was fine. I, I, Mark, Mike Flanagan, it, it's fine. It, it's frankly unnecessary, but it's like uh, I enjoyed the Thing prequel, but it's unnecessary, you know. Uh, it's not as good as the Thing, and I don't liken it to the Thing, but I like the Thing prequel. I'm right. not a guy who... You know, I'm not. I'm not going to say, "No, this is terrible," or "No, you can't do it." Uh, like I said with Demeter, I enjoyed it. I had a good time at the theater, but you know, I was. There's things that you just go. I'm not a guy who says what I would do. It's what I would want to see. Yeah. Uh, it's not what I would do. I mean, I I I, I don't get that much into it that way. I just want to be entertained, and yeah, I, I wanted to see Dracula in his full regalia. Now that's all. That's pretty much how I was. I mean, I liked the movie. I went and saw it twice just because I wanted to turn my brain off. Yes, that's and it. And I like period piece movies. Me too. I love naval ships. Me too. And I wanted to see a big ass vampire. Chomp. Me too. And yeah. and in all and all of those things, I was satisfied. Yep. Um. What what you wanted to push it over the edge was that thing where uh, I always liked that. Uh, Terrence Fisher, the great director of all the classic Hammer films, said uh, he would always tell him, one, we're not making a horror film. We're making a fairy tale. And in making the fairy tale, we take it very seriously. Right. This is deadly, serious business. Man, you can see it in whenever he directs a film. It is deadly serious. But it's also got this wonderful otherworldliness to it. Um and that's that's kind of what you want. You uh, you want to film self-aware, uh, not to be too self-aware. I really didn't want to know all the backstory of the sailors. Yeah, I didn't really care about that. I was waiting for them to be quiet and then get to what the their job was to get to one place, to one port, to another, shipping things, right. satisfying the captain so he could 
he could, uh, the shipping company would be pleased and they all get their cut. Kind of like Moby Dick, you know? Um, and then as you learn about these guys, yes, it's interesting, but, but it took away when you get too much into their lives, it took away from the vampire. My first thought wouldn't be, well, my life and how things are going. I'm like, there's a freaking something killing us here. And hey, my dog. <laughs> and the guy comes back. The guy we thought was dead is coming back. Yeah. Okay. That's not a mystery to people of that time. They knew exactly what that would be. Right. Okay. Uh, we know what it is through movies. They would know what it is through folklore. Right. From living folklore. They would know. It wouldn't be, what could this be? It would be, there's a freaking Nosferatu on this thing. <laughs> you know? And at that point, they would know what to do. What was great was they didn't, they still couldn't stop him. And the reason it doesn't work that anyone survives it is that's Van Helsing's job, right? They're, they lessened Van Helsing's great wisdom. They lessened Van Helsing's uh, lifelong pursuit of the of this pseudo stuff. Um, so uh that that part of it i think was the bending of the knee to modernity and what could have made it great was stay in 1897 you know just stay there and let it happen then whatever you tell people aren't identifying we witness it and we go oh that's why what was better or that's what was worse or that that we do that we'll do that work i don't want a director or a writer and a producer and a film studio saying okay here's what we like and here's what we don't mm-hmm. here's here's we're gonna emphasize no i want a monster that eats people <laughs> right in the time that they're in and so when you see the rest of it uh it's why moby dick works so well you know, why Moby Dick was so fa- fascinating when, I mean, people don't read that book, but if they do, the characters on it just become alive. And they all have this backstory and they all have the reasons why they're on the ship and then the reasons that they succumb to evil. Um, thinking they're doing good. It's fascinating reading. The whale, the whale, not to get into the weeds, the whale is not a monster it's just a whale it's the people that put the meaning on the whale you know that's brilliant right now before we get to the end of this here uh you mentioned earlier that even if people uh, have sat here listening to you talk about your book they still have no idea what's coming in it right if they want to find out what's coming they have 22 days left until the campaign 22 until the Kickstarter campaign closes on November 16th, to the surprise of none of us anyway, (laughs) uh, the the campaign is already well more than funded. I smashed that. Look, I am absolutely floored by that. And the amount of gratitude I have is, I can't believe it. I, 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 you know, what, I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't think that. And I thought, well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a niche thing. I did not realize the reaction would be this this strong. Instead, uh, it I can only say uh, I just have pure gratitude. Yeah, as as Robin was saying that, it's gone up two more backers in real time. Wow! And, I'm watching uh, it, go you're, up you're, <laughs> it looks like you're going to cross over a thousand backers by the end of today. Wow! And uh, 
Yeah, and in yeah, the original, see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm always a little nervous to look. Yeah, because because I, I I don't want to disappoint people on any level, um, and I'm not really good at talking about something coming up. I'm good about talking what I've already done, mm. but I'm not good at the you know. And they and the people running it says, please, you have to, and you this, this is what you do. Uh, but I tend to just I don't know how to sell something. I, I'm always like, here, look at it. It's like uh, somebody telling you about a great meal. You know, I want to eat it. And, you know, that's it. Uh, yeah. But but I don't want to I, I can I can say honestly, it's probably easier to do this one because I I believed in it. And that's why I took it and didn't want to go through a regular publisher. Mm. That that in and of itself is a huge reason because you're working without a net then you don't know, you know, and, um, but I loved it and I went, you know what, this is something I want on my headstone when I'm dead. He drew this, he drew this, he drew this and this as well. Um, so, uh, at that point, you know, I said, okay, I can get off my butt and do something. You know, it, it sounds like, um, you know, Matt gave you the material that you had always wanted to see in a Dracula story. Well, as Matt and... said, he goes, I think Kelly will draw the shit out of this. I'm going <laughs> to like this thing. Uh, he would tell me, he says, oh, man, there, there's like a, a, all this stuff in here. Kelly, you're going to, man, I can't wait. You're going to love me today because you're going to get to draw this stuff. And he was right. It, it came and I went, man, this just all comes together. You just and, love drawing dudes get their heads chopped off. Oh and my god! Blood getting and guts. impaled. He he writes so many great ways to go. In um, <laughs> but what heads he does, on pikes. He, yeah, he's not he's not like super descriptive. He just says he just kind of says here's yeah. how it is, and this is how it ends, and <laughs> this is how we go about it, and this is what ticks off Dracula, or this is why he does it. Um, some of it it's amazing because it's not done with anger and that makes it worse. It's not done as an angry thing. It's a calculated decision and you go, wow. And then there's other times where it's like, we got to do this. And then there's other times there's real emotional violence to it. Um, The man is uncompromisingly uh, frightening. I don't want to say evil because he doesn't think he is, but he is frightening. Mm-hmm. And it is great to sit down with him every day. As Matt said, the trick is to not like him or not not be tricked into liking him because you're going to like him. And then he's going to do this thing and you go, oh, my God. But then a few pages later, you're liking him again. <laughs> you're you can because Matt puts him in context. But there's no romance. There's no the great love of his life. There's none of that. It's Dracula and what he wants. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, the last, you know, I know you say you're not good at pitching or selling a book, but the last hour and a half, I think is proof that that's absolutely not true <laughs> because uh, we loved hearing all about it and it hasn't thank come you, out yet. Thank, and you, so, Tom. thank you very, very much. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, this is um, you've done, uh, you've done so much work already with monsters and horror and the fact that this is something where you are unleashed and without bounds and without um, compromise is is probably the most exciting part about it, is that you were born to draw something like this and to know that there are no limits and 
um, no no boundaries with it is even more fun to think about. So we're, we're more than excited for it. I Look, I appreciate it. And uh, if there's one thing I'm confident in, I think, I'm, I don't think, I know it will still surprise you guys because it did me. Very, very good. And you know, it, the, the, the best way you can always tell is I had it said, uh, if you have time, it, 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 for the people who have time, is you get away from it and you do it, you know, you go on to other stuff, do whatever. And I was done with this, I want to say last spring, right? Mm. Then it's all putting things together and getting everything to where they want to feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, you have to get all the business end of it, like how lining up printers and paper quality, I mean, all the dry stuff. Um, so about four or five months later, I sit down to review it before they, they're going to do what they do. And it knocked me out. I mean, I genuinely knocked me out again. But then I'd rested. I wasn't involved in the every day-to-day thing. And uh, uh, at that point, it, I went, I, okay, then I can mention this. I can't do it. I mean, they'll send me stuff to say re, repost this or whatever. And I do because each one will be different or at least show different stuff. But I'm always a little difficult for me to do that. Because I tend to want to recede to the back and let the work speak for itself. I don't want to speak for the work. Um, I don't feel you can convince somebody to like something. I think they will like it or not or convince themselves or give you a chance. But this one, I'm going, okay, <clears throat> I'm pretty much sure this is this is going to entrance people and be um, be that thing that is within canon we're not doing something new with him. We're, we're doing something that everyone's forgotten with him. And he's a lot more frightening, that forgotten Dracula, than the one who's romantic. And, you know, he's not. And I love the romantic one. Don't get me wrong. I love the... But, but this is new. But it's the, it is the guy. So <laughs> that part was fresh. That's That's why in drawing it, I didn't feel like I had to do the... Uh, shtick that we all know that I love. I love my tropes. I want my James Bond to say shaken, not stirred. I want, but I also want my Dracula to say what beautiful music they make. I never drink wine. I want him to do that, but I want this guy to say it, not the romantic guy. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, anything else guys, before we let Kelly go? Well, uh, Everyone just get in there before November 16th. Uh, you can search Dracula the Impaler. You can search Matt Jones or Matt Wagner or Kelly Jones. You can search Orlock Press. You'll you'll find it on there. It's easy. We'll put links to the Kickstarter campaign uh, everywhere that we we post the episode, every platform there'll be links. So uh, don't miss it. Uh, don't don't run out of time and miss the boat on this. Thank you very much you guys. I I truly appreciate it and I'll speak for Matt so does he. Oh, thank you for making thank the time. You, you know, it's we. It's always an honor. And uh, thank you. And here's here's to here's to the seventh annual next year, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is well, one of our proudest it things. It, it. Yeah. It's like a telethon. We have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Kelly. Have a great one. You too. Thank you. Happy Halloween, everybody. And to you, you. as well. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.